Good morning, everyone. Well, I welcome you to our seminar. My name is Kevin Sears. The topic today, the title is A Deeper Experience. You know, I believe that we are living in such a time that we need, every one of us, a deeper experience in our walk with God. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you've called us to be a part of this remnant church in this specific time in history. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that wants to have a deeper experience with us. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us here this morning, to speak to us with the power that only your Holy Spirit can provide. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ellen White says in Fundamentals of Education, we all need to gain a much deeper experience in the things of God than we have gained. Self is to die, and Christ is to take possession of the soul temple. And so it is time, I believe, for this to take place. And I will tell you this. It's very exciting to be a Seventh-day Adventist in this specific time in the history of the world. It's very exciting to be an Adventist in light of what's going on, not only in the world, but in our church. You know, there's a lot of divisive things that are taking place in our church, especially recently, but there's a lot of powerful things that are taking place in our church, and we're going to talk about that throughout the seminar. So we're going to talk about getting a, gaining a deeper experience in the things of God. In the book of Psalms, chapter 77, verse 13, it says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So what way is this talking about? What is it? The way of salvation, the way of sanctification. The way to gain a deeper experience in the things of God is found in the sanctuary. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to spend time in the sanctuary. We're not going to get deep into the sanctuary per se. We're going to look at how we can gain a deeper experience by looking at some, uh, a few different things in the sanctuary, because in these last days, this is what we're going to be needing. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some basic concepts. You know, we're, this is ASI. And so we're going to look at some basic concepts, but we're going to take a little different approach to these basic concepts that we're all aware of. And so first we're going, now we're all familiar with the sanctuary. What is the outer court in the sanctuary? What does that represent? What is it? Sacrifice. So you have, you have how many compartments in, this, in the sanctuary? You have three, right? You have the outer court. Everything points to Jesus, by the way, but it's the ministry of Jesus in all three compartments. So the outer court represents justification. The holy place, what does that represent? Sanctification, right? The sanctification process. So, so we are justified, then we move into the holy place, and this is where the sanctification process takes place. Then we move into the most holy place. And what does that represent? Glorification. So before we get, so we get from justification, before we get to glorification, 
we have to go through what? The painful <laughs> sometimes, sanctification. And so this is what we're going to spend our time in, is in the sanctification process found in the holy place. We're going to look at and we're going to see how we can have a deeper experience in the things of God going through the holy place. What does the table of showbread represent in the holy place? First of all, let me ask you, what are the three articles of furniture, if you will, in the holy place? Seven-branch candlestick. You guys with me? Altar of incense and the table of showbread. Each one represents a different area that we have to do in order to be involved in the sanctification process. So what does the table of showbread represent? Now, everything points to Jesus. We know that. But what does the table of showbread represent? The Word of God. So we must be in the Word of God to be in this sanctification process. Now, again, these are basic concepts, but we're going to look at some, some different things in these basic concepts. So it represents the Word of God, but not, specific, not just the Word of God. We're going to look at something very specific for our day. Here in early writings, Ellen White says this, There are many precious truths contained in the Word of God, but it is what? Present truth that the flock needs now. I have seen the danger of the messengers running off from subjects that are not calculated to unite the flock and to sanctify the soul. So in other words, what she's saying is present day truth is calculated to do what? Unite the flock and sanctify the soul. Let me ask you a question. Do we as Seventh-day Adventists today need something to unite the flock? Do we? You know, we, we're all aware of what's been taking place just recently, something very, that's, that's been very divisive and is going to possibly split our church. What we need to be focusing on is present-day truth, and because it's calculated to unite the flock. And in uniting the flock, it sanctifies the soul. So what is present-day truth? She continues, but such subjects as the sanctuary in connection with the 2300 days, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement and show what our present position is, establish the faith of the doubting, and give certainty to the glorious future. These I have frequently seen were the principal subjects on which the messengers should dwell. So the principal subjects that you and I as Seventh-day Adventists, as ASI members, should be dwelling on are present-day truth, the sanctuary, and all that is in the sanctuary. In other words, the books of Daniel and Revelation. In other words, even more pinpointed, the three angels' messages. These are the things in our personal study time that we should be studying as well. You know, a lot of times we hold evangelistic series. And I love holding evangelistic series. It's what the, what the world needs. But a lot of times we hold an evangelistic series, but then that's the last time that we ourselves are in present-day truth until the next evangelistic series. 
But the principal thing that we should be studying as Seventh-day Adventists in this last days that we're living in is present-day truth, the message that God has given to the entire world, including Adventists. Matter of fact, Peter confirms this, 2 Peter 1.12. Peter says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to you, always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, be, and be established in what? Present truth. Peter says we need to be established in present truth. You know, it's interesting in this chapter, as you go down a few more verses, verse 19, then he goes into prophecy. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. You will do well to take heed because it's like a light that shines in a dark place. And so Peter's explaining here a little a few verses later, in the context of present truth, we need to pay attention to prophecy because it's like a light that shines in a dark place. You ever go into a dark room and you can't find a light switch and you're stumbling around trying to find that switch and maybe you ooh, bang your knee on the table, you can't see anything, then you find that switch, the light goes on, and what happens? Now you see everything clearly. So Peter is saying, in the context of present truth here in chapter 1, study prophecy because a light will go on and you will see things clearly. But then the best part, the day star will arise in your hearts. So as we in the context are studying present day truths, specifically the prophecies in present day truth, Jesus will arise in our hearts. We will have a closer walk with him than if we had not been doing this. Eighth volume of the Testimonies 302, the solemn messages that have been given in their order in the Revelation are to occupy what? Second place? Last place? What place? First place in our minds. So we should be in the Word of God, of course, but specifically in present truth, which is we find it in Daniel and Revelation, and more specifically in the three angels' messages. Talking about the book of Revelation again, she says, when we as a people understand what this book means to us, there will be seen among us a what? A great revival. Do we want a great revival in our church? Three people want a great revival in our church. <laughs> Do we want a great revival in our church? Yes. Guys, let me tell you this. I've had the privilege of, of traveling a lot since I've been working in the Adventist church. And I've had the privilege of working with young people. I was, I was a part of the Youth for Jesus program for five years here. And I will say this, the ASI Youth for Jesus program, hands down, is the greatest youth program in the entire world. And I have seen what God has been doing in our young people. A revival is taking place. Why is a revival taking place in our young people in the ASI Youth for Jesus? Because they're studying when they come these present-day truths. Not only are they studying, they're preaching them, these present-day truths. I have had the privilege, and we have GYC, most powerful movement in our church today, GYC. GYCs are popping up all over the world today. All over Europe, you, you're probably well aware, the very first GYC Europe just took place a few weeks ago in Austria. Very successful. GYC Ukraine now, GYC Hungary now, GYC England, Australia, on and on and on. All over the world, God is doing something special with the messages, 
with present-day truth that is lighting a revival, not only in our young people, but with all of Adventists all over the place. So as we understand what it does for us personally, the book of Revelation, a great revival is going to take place. Now, just recently my wife and I were talking, and she has a very good friend. Uh, my wife and I have been married for two years now, a little more than two years, and one of her friends was uh, part of the wedding party. She was a bridesmaid. And she's a Christian. She's not Seventh-day Adventist. And she likes to study the Bible. And she especially likes group Bible study. And that's actually where my wife Julie met her, was in a, a ladies' Bible study that they had every week, run by, by someone else. But they weren't studying the Adventist message. They weren't, even though there were some Adventists there, and an Adventist run, running the Bible study, they weren't Adventist message per se. They weren't studying present-day truth. What they were studying, you know, was a woman's group, so they were going through, like, different books in the Bible. What, is, what are some books you think a woman's group would want to study? Esther and Ruth. <laughs> That's what they were studying. So they first went through Ruth, and then they went through Esther, and those are great books, right? Those are excellent books. But we noticed something with this friend of hers. For the last few years, even though they've been studying these books, she really, really is struggling. She's made some incredibly poor decisions in her life uh, that have led to more poor decisions. And after speaking with her, just recently we had a conversation with her right before I came out, and it was clear that she doesn't really understand not only where we are today, but what it means to be a Christian. How do we, how do we follow God? And I believe it's because she hasn't been studying present-day truth. You know, I remembered when I first studied the Adventist message. It was life-changing for me. You know, let me read this quote first. Ellen White says, When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have what? An entirely different religious experience. This is what happened with me. They'll begin such glimpses, they will, they will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that hearts and minds will be impressed with what? They will be impressed with the character. So what the character that we're going to need to develop in these last days is found in our present-day truth message. I, had been, I was a Christian for two and a half years, and I loved to study the Bible. I would study it multiple times during the day. Of course, I had that privilege because I, I had nothing else to do. I was in prison. But I, I loved studying the Bible. Then when two and a half years into being a Christian, someone brought to me the three angels' messages, and it completely was a different religious experience that I had. It brought a revival to me personally, and it completely changed my life forever. And as a result of that, I'm here with you today. It was from present-day truth, from the three angels' messages. There is no more powerful message on this planet. And let me give you a little side note here. You know, we're living in the age of the postmodern mind, right? What do postmoderns need? They need the three angels' messages. What should we be using with the postmoderns? The three angels' messages. That's what we need to use with the postmodern. If the three angels' messages aren't for the postmodern mind, God must have made a mistake. 
He didn't realize what the days were going to be like in the last days. There's always been a postmodern all throughout the ages. We have what we need for the postmodern. Okay. So present-day truth is going to give us an entirely different religious experience. It's going to open our eyes to the character that is going to be needed in these last days, and it's going to draw us closer to Christ. No doubt about that. Testimonies to Ministers 114, the Lord will bless all who seek humbly and meekly to understand that which is revealed in the Revelation. This book contains so much that is large with immortality and full of glory that all who read and search it earnestly receive the blessing to those that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written therein. So as we enter into the holy place, we're, we're taking these basic concepts, but we're looking at different areas of these basic concepts. So we know... We need to study the Bible in our sanctification process. If we're going to be having a deeper experience with Christ, we must be studying the Bible. But if we want that experience that no other experience can bring in studying the Bible, we must be studying present-day truth. And I'll say this, this is a large part of the problem in our church, in North America and in other places. We're not even hearing present-day truth a lot of times in our churches. But God is bringing that back around in these movements that he's raising up and the people he's moving up. There's, there's a, re, a revival taking place. Now, let's go to the second article of furniture. What is this? Altar of incense. What does this represent? Prayers of the saints. So our prayer life, our prayer life, we have to have a personal prayer life. Of course, we know this, but we're going to look at some different things here. Ellen White says in Gospel Workers, we need to have a deeper experience. This is what we're talking about. In order to have a deeper experience, she says we must be studying present truth when we study the Bible. Now she says to have a deeper experience, we must pray more, believing that we have a living Savior. I was a couple years ago in the Ukraine with the AFCO school, and one morning in my devotional time I was studying on prayer in the sanctuary. And I came across this verse, which I had read many times, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and did what? He prayed. He went to a solitary place and he prayed. And there I realized this is what we need to do. We see the secret, if you will, the key element in Jesus' success as a soul winner, but his success in having a connection with God that no one else had. The key was he got up hours before the sun even came out to spend time with God. So I remember this hit me in this, in this study time that I had, and I decided I was going to start getting up at 4 a.m. every morning and spending the first few hours with God before I would go into, the, into work, into the school. And so I had done this for a short time, and man, the Lord just started blessing in many different ways. And so I decided to, to put a class together for the, for the students in the school and talk about prayer and talk about specifically this. And I remember this here is Volodia. He was one of the students in the school as I was teaching on this and talking about getting up early and spending this time with God in prayer and the blessings that it has brought to me personally, 
Velodia decided he was going to start doing that. And, and one thing I was talking about was not just praying for, for myself, but intercessory prayer, praying for divine appointments. And so Velodia started doing this. And one day he decided uh, in his prayer time, he was, he was praying for divine appointments. He was praying for a deeper experience with God. That afternoon, he went out after lunch, and he did what we call a prayer walk. Many of you may be familiar with that. He's just walking in the community, praying for people, silently. And he's walking down this main road, and he comes to this big intersection, and he sees a big commotion there. There's an ambulance, there's police, there's a lot of people gathered around. As he approaches the scene, he looks down, and there's a young man that had been struck by a vehicle and killed. And right as he comes up, they're putting the sheet over his head. So Velodia stood there and was shocked and was hurt, and he just started praying for this young man's family. And as he's praying, he feels a hand on his, a hand on his shoulder, and it spun him around. It was an ambulance driver. He said, what are you doing? You can't be here. And so Velodia said, oh, I'm sorry, I was, just, I was just praying for this young man's family. And it struck the ambulance driver, and he said, oh, yeah, you, well, go ahead, you, you keep praying. Well, as this is going on, there was a young man behind Velodia and listening and hearing this whole conversation. And his name was Dima. And so Dima approached, this here is Dima, so here's, Here's uh, Velodia. This is Dima right here. And Dima approached Velodia, and he said, I heard what you just said. He said, could you pray for me? And Velodia said, of course. What, what's the problem? What, what can I pray for? He said, I'm a drug addict. He said, I've been addicted to heroin for years, and I can't quit, and I want to quit desperately. So Velodia said, of course, and they prayed right there. They started talking. They instantly became friends. Velodia got a Bible study with this young man. They began studying for months. And uh, here we, we, these are the AFCO shirts. So he would bring Dima around the AFCO class every day. He would eat lunch with us. We gave him a shirt. He was a part of the team. After a few months of prayers and Bible study, Dima was able to get off of heroin, drug-free, without any drugs. Dima came to the series, and at the end of this series, he gets baptized. This is, this is Dima here in the baptismal clothing. Now, interesting, this is Sasha right here. Sasha was studying with a Bible worker, and this is the day of the baptism. They're getting dressed into their baptismal clothing, and Sasha looks over at Dima, and he says to the Bible worker, he says, what's he doing here? I know him. He's a drug addict. So the Bible worker explained what happened, and Sasha was so touched, he went over there, and instantly they became friends, and they decided they were going to get baptized together. Here they are in the tank, and look at the joy in their faces. Here's uh, Dima, here's Sasha, there's the pastor, and there they are getting baptized together. Now, interesting, Dima's mother was so appreciative of what was happening in the life of her son 
that she began coming to the meetings as well. And she was a heavy Orthodox. You know, the Ukraine, Eastern Europe is heavy Orthodox. They control the country. And this woman was an Orthodox. She started coming to the meetings, and here she is in the baptismal tank. A tiny little thing. She was like four feet tall. She was really cute. And so she ended up getting baptized as well. And I believe that it was Volodya's desire to have a deeper experience with God, getting up earlier in the morning. I'm not saying you have to get up at 4 a.m. Try it, though. See if the Lord won't bless you. But get up earlier. Even if you spend an hour already in prayer, spend an hour and 20 minutes. And God will bless that. And not only will he bless it in your life, but in the people's lives around you. Because of that experience that Volodia made that decision, now we have two people in the kingdom of heaven because of that. Ellen White says in Cal Porter Ministry, the greatest victories of the church of Christ or the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education or by wealth or of the favor of men. They are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God when earnest, agonizing faith lays hold upon the mighty arm of power. So the greatest victory to the Christian comes in prayer. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. Ellen White on this verse in Desire of Ages 131 says, Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. Now we're going to talk about something that may be different for you. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea and I'll explain. This is something that I did, started doing years ago. After I learned the Adventist message, um, I was reading a book an, an Adventist author wrote, and he was talking about using the name of God in prayer. And so I started doing this myself. Now, I, would, I was still in prison, and I would have my devotional time in the morning. I would have devotional time in the evening. And then in the afternoon after lunch, what I would do is I would write down some names of God and, I, and their meanings. And I would go outside, and I would walk. And as I would walk, I would pray. And as I would pray, I would use these names of God with the acronym. We're all familiar with the acronym ACTS, Adore, Confess, Thank, and Supplication. And this, for me, was a great blessing in my prayer life. And I'll explain. So, in other words, Yahweh Shema means Lord who is present. So, I would think of a time in my life where I knew the Lord was present. It may have been that very time, or it may have been a time where I was really struggling, and I look back and see that the Lord was present. And so I would put that in my prayer. Lord, you have shown me that you are, truly are, Yahweh Shema. Because I've seen during this time period, when I was going through this, you were present with me. And so I would just, now I could have given you 15 different names, but for sake of, of being redundant, um, just a few names, you get the concept, the Almighty God, El Shaddai, Yahweh Yara, who, Lord who provides. So you could go through this and put this in your prayers. What this did for me is it really drew me closer to God as I saw how God worked, you know, each name that we're given 
for God the Father is a different aspect of his character. And as you see God working through these names that he has, these different aspects of his character, as you see all those aspects in your life, it just does something special in your relationship with God. It really drew me closer to, to God. Now, I also did this with Jesus, the different names, Good Shepherd, uh, Victory Through Jesus. And uh, I apologize, I don't have notes for you, paper notes. Uh, but if you would like, I can email you all these notes, and if you would like, you can have this PowerPoint presentation as well. Um, so the different names, again, as I would implement these in my prayer, it really, really drew me closer to God. As a matter of fact, I will say this, something incredible happened. As I would do this every day, it really, I really felt the presence of God in my prayers. And the very first time that I literally heard the voice of God audibly in my prayers was while I was doing this. And it was the most incredible thing. And so it was a great blessing to me. Now the Holy Spirit, now I'm not saying pray to the Holy Spirit, but it's a different acronym that I use, Chief, uh, Convictor, Helper, Illuminator, Empower, Friend. Chief is the acronym. So as I was praying, I would be thanking God that he sent the Holy Spirit who strengthens in my life, that he has led me by his Spirit, and think of different times that it was clear that he did that, uh, different times that he helped me when I was in need, different times that he gave me revelations in the Bible. And so using this was just a tremendous, tremendous blessing for me. Now let's move into probably the most often neglected area in our sanctification process. You know, it's interesting, this is most oftentimes the most um, neglected area, but it's also probably the key ingredient, first of all, for overcoming in our life, but it's also what is the key ingredient to keep us alive as Seventh-day Adventists. And what is that? What's the seven-branch candlestick stand for? Holy Spirit, okay, you, the oil is being poured into the seven-branch candlestick for what? To witness the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world. Here, again, in Fundamentals of Education, those who would be overcomers must be drawn out of themselves. And the only thing which will accomplish this great work is to become intensely interested in the salvation of others. So if we want to be overcomers, do Seventh-day Adventists need to be overcomers? Of course we do. All of us need to be overcomers. The only thing that is going to accomplish this is if we are intensely interested in the salvation of others. So we must be involved in witnessing. You know, we're talking about having a deeper experience with God. We have to study the Bible, we know this, but specifically present-day truth, it will draw us closer than anything else will do in studying. We have to be in prayer, and we have to be witnessing if we want that experience that Jesus wants with us. 
Desire of Ages 825. It is in doing Christ's work that the church has the promise of his presence. Go teach all nations, he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Take his yoke. To take his yoke is one of the first conditions of receiving his power. So do we want the power of Jesus in our lives? Of course we do. That's why we're here. Then we must be involved in the Great Commission personally. We must be doing a personal work in order to have that close walk with Christ. You know, a lot of times we claim the promise that Jesus is with us always because of this verse in the book of Matthew chapter 28. But it's in the context of doing the work. I'm with you always. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, you know, we, someone said it over here that the seven-branch candlestick represents the Holy Spirit. You know, the oil is being poured into the candlestick. But the oil is being poured into that candlestick for what? To witness. So if that's the case, now do we need the Holy Spirit? Do we want more of the Holy Spirit? Are we a people that is awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and latter rain power? We are, aren't we? Well, it's not going to happen if we're not going to be witnessing. It's not going to happen. You know, Ellen White talks about this extensively. A lot of people are waiting for some special thing to happen, and then they're going to get out witnessing. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, then revival is going to take place in the church. That's not true. The revival takes place first, then the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so that's what we need to be doing. The oil is poured into the candlestick so that we become witnesses. Matter of fact, Acts 5.32 says that we are given the Holy Spirit for this purpose. For those that obey him, we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power from on high and become what? Witnesses. So if we're not going to be witnesses, we shouldn't expect the Holy Spirit. He who seeks to give light to others will himself be blessed. There shall be showers of blessing. Do we want showers of blessing? Of course we do. He that watereth shall be also watered. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, we can impart only that which we receive from Christ, and we can receive only as we impart to others. As we continue imparting, we continue to receive. And the more we impart, the more we shall receive. Thus we may be constantly believing, trusting, receiving, and imparting. What a great blessing that is. That's a great promise. If we want constantly for our Adventist Christian life to be alive, we must be imparting what God is giving us. The more we impart it, the more God gives us. The closer we get to God, because the more we're learning of God, and it's just a snowball effect. Let me ask you a question. Can God reach sinners without us? Can he reach the world without us? Of course he could, right? Matter of fact, Ellen White says this. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. So if that's the case, why, did, why does he use us? But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, 
the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for the redemption. God could have done this without us. He could have sent angels to just spread the gospel. But he chose us to do this in this incredible plan because it is only through this plan of us being involved in soul winning that we will get the character of Christ. Do we need the character of Christ? We need it desperately. And the only thing that's going to give us the character of Christ is if we're sharing what God is giving us. And that's why he does this. The closer we get to Christ, the more we become like Christ. And the more we share, the closer we get to Christ. This can only happen by sharing in his work. Christian service. The real, I love this quote, the real character of the church is measured not by the high profession she makes, not by the names enrolled upon the church book, but what, by what she is actually doing for the master, by the number of her persevering faithful workers. Personal interest and vigilant individual effort will accomplish more for the cause of God than can be wrought by sermons or creeds. So the real character of a church is not in the numbers of, that are on the books. The real character of the church are in the numbers of people that are witnessing in that church. That's a church I want to be a part of. You know, I, there was a testimony last night. I don't remember who gave it, but there was a church of 170 people. And they did an outreach. And out of that 170 people, 107 of them went out knocking on doors. That's incredible numbers. Man, I would love to train a church like that. 107 out of 170 went out to knock on doors. That's a church I want to be a member of. This is what separates the sheep from the goats. Now, with witnessing, we need to combine it with prayer and Bible study. Ellen White says, he who does nothing but pray will soon, what? Cease to pray. Or his prayers become a formal routine. So a lot of times we're praying and praying and praying and praying, but we're never witnessing. If we do that, then eventually we're going to cease to pray or it's just going to become routine, meaningless. But when we combine the two, this is when life enters us. Desire of ages. The very life of the church depends on her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. To neglect this work is surely to invite spiritual feebleness and decay. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes and faith grows dim. So here she says the very life of the church depends on what? Fulfilling faithfulness and fulfilling the Lord's commission. What's the Lord's commission? To go. Go out, witness. Lay members, go out and witness. So the very life of the church depends on us witnessing. And let me say this, the very life of the church member. I want you to think of it that way. Because we say the life of the church and we think, yeah, our church, yeah, those people. No, the church member. The very life of the church member depends on her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. If we neglect this, what happens? we become feeble and decaying. How many of you would like to be feeble? How many of you want to decay? When do we decay? <laughs> when we're already dead, right? We don't decay before we die. So if we're not fulfilling the Lord's commission, we're dead. 
and we're decaying. So oftentimes, you go into a church that's dead. Why do you think that is? Not fulfilling the Lord's commission. If I'm a dead church member, what does that say about me? I'm not fulfilling the Lord's commission. Me personally, I want life as a Seventh-day Adventist. And we find that life in evangelism. We find that close connection with Christ when we are doing his work, when we are working with him. I got out of prison, and I was living with my brother. My brother is four years younger than me. And we had an apartment in Somerville, Massachusetts. And we were living on this little street. It was an alley, four houses on the street. You come down the end of the street. There's four houses on the street and then two houses on the corner. The last house on the left on the first floor, that's where my brother and I lived. We pretty much grew up in this area. So we knew everybody in the area. I was working a job where I would go to work very early in the morning and I'd be home, finish with work around noon every day. And my routine was, after I got home from work, I would have prayer, I would study the Bible a little bit, I would have lunch, and then I would take a nap. Now I know this doesn't fall in line with our health message, but I was learning. And so then after I wake up from my nap, I would study more. And I remember one day, it was a Friday afternoon, I was on my knees praying, and it dawned on me. I had been living here for now three or four months, and it dawned on me I had been doing nothing for God. And so I'm praying, and I said, Lord, forgive me. I've been here on this little street for four months, and I haven't done anything to witness for you. I don't know how to do this. You need to show me. Now, I had been witnessing in the fact that I was no longer doing drugs and alcohol and violence and all that stuff. That's a witness. It changed life, right? But it's not enough. I had been witnessing in, in the fact that now I'm going to church on Saturday. You know, Massachusetts is, you're either Irish Catholic or Italian Catholic. And I'm Irish and Italian. I grew up Catholic. And so this was oh, definitely a witness. Matter of fact, I just read recently, Massachusetts has the largest amount of Catholics in the entire country. And so, you're, so this was definitely a witness. I'm going to church on Saturday now. That's a witness, isn't it? But it's not enough. And so, Lord, I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to do this. Please show me. Send somebody to me so that I can lead them to you. Now, you've heard it said before, be careful what you pray for. Right? This was Friday afternoon. About two weeks goes by. I come home from work. My front door's open. No big deal. We knew everybody. We never locked the door. I go into my room, and my top drawer's open. Now, this is strange. I kept cash in the top drawer for an emergency. So I go and look in the top drawer. Sure enough, the money's gone. I didn't think anything of it. My brother knows I keep money in there. He must have came home from work. He needed it. I'll just wait for him to get home, and I'll ask him. My brother gets home a couple hours later. I said, hey, Chris, did you need money for something? He said, no, why? I said, you didn't take the money out of my drawer? And he just looked at me and said, oh, no. And, you know, I'm a little slow. Then it dawned on me we might have been robbed. 
And so we go into the living room, and sure enough, you know, I didn't even check the house. Sure enough, the VCR is gone. Praise the Lord. <laughs> My brother's Sega Genesis game system, gone. Praise the Lord. My brother's laptop computer, gone. Praise the Lord. Let me explain. That computer, you know, we say it was hot. <laughs> my brother's, one of my brother's friends broke into some poor woman's car, stole her computer, erased everything on it, sold it to my brother for short money. And I didn't want it in my house. And I had been thinking about, praying about, Lord, how can I talk to my brother about this? He's not a Christian. How can I talk to him so he understands uh, this shouldn't be in our house? Now I don't have to talk to him about it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That Sega, that VCR, we'll, we'll go to the VCR. There would be things that my brother and his friends would watch on that that I was not comfortable with in my house. Again, I'm praying, Lord, how can I share this with my brother without offending him? Now it's gone. That Sega game system, right? You guys familiar with the Sega game systems? You know, now they're just off the charts with these games. My brother and all his friends, his friends would come over every night after work, and they would drink, and they would play these sports games, you know, Gretzky hockey and Madden football and whatever, Griffey baseball, and they would sit there for hours getting drunk, playing these games. They thought they were actual athletes because they were playing these sports. And you want to see something funny. I wish I could have videotaped it. My brother was the worst. They would sit there and scream at the referees on this game. And I remember one day, I walk in, and my brother's like irate, like he wants to beat up the referee on the Sega game. And he says, are you blind? That wasn't a penalty. And I said, Chris, time out. <laughs> I think he is blind. <laughs> That's not an actual person. But even if it was, he can't hear you. It's on the TV. And so this is what I had to deal with. So now this thing is gone. And so I'm assessing the situation. I'm thinking, you know, I lost a couple hundred dollars. I would have given that to get rid of this stuff. Praise the Lord, it's gone. So now I think, well, I should go out and see if any of my neighbors saw anything. So I went out. Some of my, my neighbors did see something. The person that robbed us, they, they knew me. It was probably somebody I met in prison I'm gathering. And because he was yelling my name out in front of the door, and then I didn't come out, so he went into the house. Didn't lead to anything. So now I find myself in the house on the corner of my street. Jimmy lives in that house. I had known Jimmy most of my life. He was a boxer. I used to be a boxer. We used to, we used to fight together when I was younger. He was living the life I used to live, drugs and alcohol and everything that goes with that. I would come home from work all the time. This was the summer. And if the police weren't at Jimmy's house, an ambulance was there. If it wasn't the ambulance, it was the fire department. It was chaos at this house all the time. People getting stabbed, people over, overdosing on drugs. It was chaos. So I would come home from work. I would see Jimmy. I'd say, hey, Jimmy, how are you? He'd say, good, Kevin, how are you? That was the extent of it. Now I find myself in his living room, in his kitchen, telling him what, what happened. He had seen something, didn't lead to anything. But he said something interesting. He said, Kevin, I just came from my parole officer. Now, Jimmy was a career criminal. 
He was, um, he had recently gotten arrested for a, a, another violent crime, and he was out on bail with the bracelet. You guys know what the bracelet is? Electronic device they, the courts put on your ankle. It monitors where you can go, and they dictate where you can go. You basically can go to work, school, or the supermarket, and that's it. Friday afternoon, he says, Kevin, I just came from my parole officer, and I'm really upset with him. I said, well, how come? He said, well, because I asked him if I could go to church this Sunday. And he said, no. And right away, my thought went back to the prayer two weeks ago. Lord, I don't know how to witness. Send somebody to me that I can lead them to you. And so immediately, I stopped praying in my mind, Lord, help me. Give me the words to say, on and on and on. So I let, he goes on. When he finishes, I said, Jimmy, I have an idea. I said, why don't I bring church to you? And he kind of looked at me. He said, what do you mean? I said, Monday when I get out of work, I'll come by and we can study the Bible together. He said, wow, you would do that? I said, of course I would. He said, great, that would be great. I left there, praise God, like my feet aren't touching the ground. I just got a Bible study with Jimmy. Then it hit me. I just got a Bible study. What in the world did I just get myself into? I don't know how to give a Bible study. I got home, and I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, what did I just do? I don't know how to give a Bible study. And the Lord brought it to me. He said, Kevin, the same way I reached you, reach him. When I was in prison, somebody gave me an Amazing Facts Bible study guide. I read it, the next one, next one, next one. I had two sets in my, in my bedroom. The Lord said, use those with Jimmy. They're already made out for us. We don't have to do anything. We just read it together. Monday came. We went through the first lesson. It's on the Bible. Is there anything left we can trust? Jimmy loved it. He said, man, Kevin, I can't believe I never realized how interesting the Bible can be. Now, we had set it up that I would come every Monday. You know, that's what we do once a week, right? Give Bible studies once a week. Don't do more than that. Now, that's the general rule, but it's not in stone. And so Jimmy says, Kevin, this was so incredible. I can't wait until next Monday for another study. He said, listen, I have an idea. Why don't you come over Wednesday night? I'll cook us dinner, and then we'll have our second study. Now, I don't know if you noticed. I don't turn down too many dinners. I like to eat. You know, my wife is pregnant, and we've been having a contest, and uh, who's, who's expanding more quickly? <laughs> so I said, sure, Jimmy, Wednesday night. You know, he, I love Italian food. He's Italian. So we had, I went over Wednesday night. We had a nice Italian dinner, and then we had our second Bible study on the Great Controversy. Have you ever studied the Great Controversy with somebody that's never heard that before? S Satan? was an angel, Lucifer. I mean, incredible. We got through that Bible study. Jimmy was blown away. He said, Kevin, this is so incredible. I can't wait until Monday to study again. I said, Jimmy, I'll tell you what. I get home from work at 12 o'clock every day. I'll eat lunch real quick, and I'll come over, and we'll study Monday through Friday. He said, great. Two weeks earlier, Lord, I don't know how to witness. 
I don't know how to do this. Send somebody to me that I can lead them to you. Five days a week I'm studying with Jimmy. I'm leaving Jimmy's house one day. I'm walking to my house, and Danielle lives across the street from my house, another young adult in her 20s. She's sitting on the porch. She said, Kevin, come over here for a minute. I said, sure, Danielle, what's up? She said, I see you coming out of Jimmy's house every day. What are you guys doing in there? Now, she knew me from before. She knew Jimmy from now. I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. She said, well, try me. I said, we're studying the Bible. She almost fell off the porch. I said, I told you you wouldn't believe me. And then she said something interesting. She said, that is so awesome, Kevin. You know, I don't think I would be ready for something like that. But I love to read. She said, as a matter of fact, I just today in work read a 600-page book. Now, I don't know how well of a reader you are, but I could not do that. And two things entered my mind. This girl can read, and she doesn't do a lot of work. (laughs) She read 600 pages in work. And right away, I said, you know, Danielle, I've got a book for you. It's not the Bible, but it's the greatest book ever written on the life of Christ. You have to read this. She said, really? I said, yeah, I want to give it to you. She said, you'd give it to me? I said, of course. I ran in my house. What book did I get? desire of ages. I wrote a little something in it quickly. I gave it to her. She said, Kevin, thank you so much. I am going to read this book. Two weeks ago, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Send somebody to me. Is that a prayer that God would answer? The next day, Danielle's brother comes walking through my door, Richie, another young adult. He walks in. He's one of the ones that plays the games with my brother and drinks. He says, Kevin, is your brother home? I said, no. He said, well, does he have any beer in the fridge? I said, you know my brother. Of course there's beer in the fridge. He said, well, can I take a six-pack? I said, please, take it all. I'll help you. And so I walked into the kitchen with him. He says, you know, my sister told me today you gave her this great book. She read it today in work. (laughs) The desire of ages she read in work in a day. He said, you know, she really, really enjoyed it. You know, I'm a history buff. I love anything on history. You give me anything on history, I'll read it. I cannot believe my ears. I said, Rich, you like history. He says, oh, I love history. I said, I have got a book for you. It starts out in the destruction of Jerusalem and takes you all through history right up to today and even a little further, and it lines up like a blueprint. You have to read this book. What book is this? The book of the year, the great controversy. I went in my bedroom. I grabbed the great controversy, wrote a little something in it. I gave it to him. He said, Kevin, thank you so much. I'm going to read this. I said, Rich, if you, I, have you ever read the Bible? No. I said, well, if you like history, there's a chapter in the Bible you must read. It's, it gives us 2,500 years of history in advance. You have to read this. What chapter am I talking about? Daniel 2. I said, it lines up, you line up the history books, and it lines up perfectly with them. I went in my room, I grabbed the Bible, I said, Rich, if I give you this, will you read this? I showed him where it was. He said, Kevin, I'm going to read this. He's leaving my house. He's on my porch. I said, Rich, hold on a second. He said, what? I said, I just want to look at this. I don't know if I'll ever see this again. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you're leaving my house with a Bible and a great controversy under one arm and a six-pack of Budweiser under the other arm. I don't know if I'll ever see this picture again. Ah, and he just walks out. 
two weeks ago, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Show me how to win people. Five days a week, I'm studying with Jimmy, Desire of Ages to Danielle, Great Controversy to Rich. I want to back up a little bit. At this point in my life, I had come out of prison on fire with this message. I was going to convert my family in a week, convert the rest of the city in about three weeks. And what do you think happened? After bashing my family about pork chops and the Pope, how many converts to my family did we get? <laughs> Goose egg, right? Zero. My church that I was in at the time was in transition, and there was a lot of problems in the church. And they're a great church. Today, praise the Lord, they're a great church. At this time, there was a transitional period. And so my spiritual life was really sinking. I was just a pew warmer. And my fire started dwindling and dwindling. When I gave that Bible study to Jimmy, incidentally, the third lesson in that Amazing Facts series is on salvation. With tears in his eyes, he accepted Christ into his life for the first time. This is a man that was a hardened criminal, a career criminal, violent, and he accepted Christ into his life with tears, both of us crying. What do you think that did for me, for my spiritual life? It was at that point that I made the decision, this is what I must do. Nothing else matters in this world today. We're living in the last days. Nothing else compares to doing evangelism. And that's when I made the decision, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know how, I don't know how to even do it, but I know the Lord will provide. In witnessing, this is what Ellen White is saying, the very life of the church member depends on her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. Because as we share with people and you share in those experiences, it brings life. Let me tell you what happened with Jimmy. He was going to trial. Now, he's a career criminal. You would open his record from the floor to the ceiling it would reach. He had been arrested, been in prison half his life. The judge he's going before, he had been before him before, many times. He commits a violent crime at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the summer with two witnesses. He doesn't have a case. The district attorney is pushing for 18 years minimum for him to serve. He's done. His life is over. We had a prayer meeting in his house the night before he went to court for his trial. And I'll never forget this. He said, Kevin, I don't want us to pray that God would keep me out of prison. I'm guilty of what I've done. He said, I want to pray that God's will be in my life. Maybe he needs me in prison. Maybe I need to go through this again. Maybe there's somebody in there. He said, whatever. I want God's will in my life. We prayed that. The next morning, it was about 10.30 in the morning, I get a call and work. It's Jimmy. And immediately I thought, oh, no, what did he do? Why isn't he in the courtroom? I said, Jimmy, what are you doing? He said, Kevin, you're not going to believe this. He said, I went before the, the, the judge. The DA presented the case. My attorney, we didn't have a defense. And the judge stood up at the end. He said, I find Jimmy Cappiello guilty of all charges. And he looked at the DA, and he said, but I see something different in this man. And I'm going to sentence him to 10 years parole, 
two years probation, and two more years on the bracelet, and he never went back to prison. I just recently, before I came out here, was with Jimmy again. I went and visited him. He's married. He has twin boy and girl. He owns two homes in his own business and is still going strong in his Bible study and with God. What would have happened? I, I often think this. What would have happened if I didn't pray that prayer, if I didn't feel that, that sense that I need to witness? I know what would have happened to me personally. Well, I don't know what would have happened to me. If I'm not involved in evangelism, if I wasn't involved in evangelism, I probably wouldn't be here with you today. I don't even know if I'd be in the church, to be honest. And if I was in the church, it would be physically only. The very life of the church member depends on her faithfulness in fulfilling the Lord's commission. To neglect this work is to invite feebleness and decay, spiritual feebleness and decay. Jimmy Cappiello was, was my experience in this very passage. Ellen White says in Evangelism, page 333, there is no greater bliss on this side of heaven than in winning souls to Christ. The only way we can experience incredible joy, incredible bliss as Seventh-day Adventists is to be involved in witnessing. As we do that, we are closer to Christ than we could ever be. If we're not involved in witnessing, we can never have that deeper experience with Christ. We can't. Can't do it. This is a picture of a church in the Ukraine. Just recently, I did a church training there. Now, the Ukraine is, of course, a former Soviet, broke off from the Soviet Union. And they got their dependence in August, a few years back. And so they still have the Soviet Union mindset. And I remember when I first started visiting the Ukraine and doing trainings, it was probably about seven or eight years ago, and in the morning time we would travel long distances to different conferences and I would do trainings for the pastors. Then in the afternoon I would train some Bible workers, then in the evening I would train some church members. And the toughest group was that first group in the morning. And I remember, I remember this one training we were having, and right in the middle, a pastor stands up, and he's yelling at me. And my translator's translating, I can see my translator is getting a little shook up, and he's yelling at me. He says, you can't do this in this country. And I said, Slavic, is there a back door around here? We may need to use it today. Like, they're getting mad at us. And I said, well, well why can't we do it? It doesn't work here. You don't understand the Ukraine. Former Soviet Union, you can't knock on doors, you can't talk to people, you can't visit people. Doesn't work here. This isn't America. I said, well, Pastor, the last time you tried this, what was your experience? It didn't work? And he ignored the question. He said, it doesn't work here. And I said, no, 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 Pastor, the last time you tried it, it didn't work? And he calmed down a little and he said, well, I never tried it. And I said, okay, thank you very much. And I always had that in the back of my mind. So we do this church training here in this church. Never been done before in the Ukraine. This is at the end of the training. We did an eight-day intensive training 
We finished on Sabbath morning. Sabbath afternoon, we're doing outreach in a country you can't do this in. It's not America. So we have about 67 church members that are going out. And here they are. They're holding up those pieces of paper. That was their surveys that they were going to use. You can see in their faces. You know, they're, they're happy. They're having fun. They're excited. Some of them have a little nervous excitement you can see in their faces. They don't know what to expect. We don't know what to expect. It's never been done. And to be honest, you know, I, former Soviet Union mindset, I don't know what that is. But I know what I've been told. 67 members. We also had a group of Bible workers that were working with the school. There was uh, four Bible workers, and then we had about 20 students. So there was close to, close to 100 people. In 90 minutes of outreach, you know how many Bible studies these church members got? Now, keep this in mind. It's never been done before. They only had eight days of training with translation, so that probably came out to about five hours total that I trained them on with translation. So keep that in mind. 67 church members. You know how many Bible studies? Take a guess how many Bible studies they got. How many? 100. That would be good. 200 would be very good. <laughs> Praise the Lord for 200. Over 300 Bible studies. In 90 minutes... What do you think that did for that church? We met back Saturday night after the 90 minutes at 5 o'clock. That atmosphere was electric. Do you know what that did for this church? It completely turned this church around. They were getting up giving testimonies for hours. We had to, we had to cut it. There were so many testimonies. And the plan was that if you didn't want to keep the Bible study, just give it to the Bible worker or the student. And people were getting up, I got seven Bible studies and I connected with this woman. And, oh, I'm keeping these Bible studies, by the way. Over and over we heard that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give these to you guys. I'm keeping these. That church was electrified. Between the church members, the Bible workers and the students, after two weeks of outreach, they had a little over a thousand people signed up for Bible studies. A thousand people. You can't do this in this country. This isn't America. You know what? That pastor was right. <laughs> that isn't America. <laughs> you would never get a thousand people signed up in one week, or I forget it was a week or two, in, in outreach. But I have experienced everywhere I go, everybody says the same thing. Oh, it's difficult here. It doesn't work. I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, it's New England. It's tough. It's tough everywhere. You know why it's tough? Because we're not doing anything. The very life of the church, the church member, depends on her faithfulness and fulfilling the Lord's commission. Every soul should now stand in a position of deeper, truer consecration to God than during the years that have passed. I have been deeply impressed by scenes that have recently passed before me in the night season. In many, oh, there seemed to be a great movement, a work of revival going forward in many places. Our people were moving into line, responding to God's call. Ellen White saw, and we're going to see in a minute, in the last days, a revival in the Seventh-day Adventist church. 
and she saw God's people moving into line. Do you want to be one of those people? They were having a deeper experience than they had previously had. And they're moving into line. Moving into line for what? In visions of the night representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God, the sick were healed, and other miracles were wrought. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the Word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence, and great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. Testimonies, Volume 9. Ellen White saw in the last days hundreds and thousands of Seventh-day Adventists experiencing revival, experiencing a, re a reformation, and with that they were going door to door and they were, the, she says, the doors were thrown open to receive the truth. My friends, it is time to be about our Father's business. It is time for this greater, deeper experience in the things of God. And the only way we're going to do this is if we are earnestly praying, if we are studying present-day truth, and if we are willing to share that and we're witnessing to people. With those three, there's no other... We, there's, the result will, can only be a deeper, greater experience with Christ. That's what I want for myself. I want to be, Ellen White could have seen you and I out there studying the Bible with people in the last days. I want to be one of these people. How about you? There's a revival that's taking place in our church, and it's time to get on board with that revival. You know, it's very interesting, and we have one minute. Things are happening in our church. God knew they were going to be happening right now divisive things. And at the same time, he's raising up this revival. At the same time, he's raising up the young people, get them trained in, in the things of God because it's about to take place. It's time. It's no coincidence that Elder Wilson is now the head of our world church. It's time. It's time for Seventh-day Adventists to have a deeper experience with God. It's time to refocus in our Bible study time on present-day truth, and it's time to get out there so that we can have life as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we've had together here this morning. Lord, we thank you that, that you desperately want a deeper experience in our lives. You desperately want us to be closer to you. And Lord, we thank you for laying out for us how this can happen. Lord, I pray for each one of us. What a great privilege it is to be a part of the remnant movement in these last days. What a privilege it is to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Lord, help us. Help us to, to have a desire to have a deeper walk with you, a deeper experience with you. And with that, Lord, give us a desire to win people. Lord, give us that life that we need as Seventh-day Adventists. We thank you for this convention, Lord. We pray for your continued blessings upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.